in the Gospel of John. We've been walking through John and uh, verse by verse. And it's a powerful passage of Scripture this morning that I hope blesses your heart because many of us have gone through some difficult times and it's been a difficult year. And so this kind of speaks to that just a little bit. The disciples are a little bit rattled. The Lord is leaving and uh, the Lord is speaking to them here about uh, his presence with them always. And I entitled this Joy in the Morning, M-O-U-R, Joy in the Morning, because there's some mourning that's going on. So we're in the 16th verse of the 16th chapter is where we left off. And um, I'm going to ask you to stand together for the reading of God's Word. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I'm going to my Father. And they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I mean when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me? I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's, let's, uh, let's say that together. The grass withers, and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Father, we're thankful for the word of God. How, how precious and how instructive and useful and comforting during difficult times in our life. So we're thankful for that, and we're thankful for how you walk with us day by day, that you're closer and the closest friend, and that you have made preparations for us, not only here in this life, but in the life to come. We pray, Lord, as we share in this passage this morning, that will be enlightening, that will be uh, eye-opening for us, that it will be helpful to us in the journey that we all take. We ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen. So I, I, I don't have to tell you, it's been difficult. It's been difficult. It's a difficult year. Uh, and then personally, it's been a difficult year. And there is a sense when we look out at things that are going on in society that the old tensions, the hostility between classes and, and races, between genders, between labor and, and management and so on that's been with us for years, there's a definite consensus that it's getting worse. Everybody's wringing their hands and they're saying to themselves, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? The Bible says the problems, the bitterness, the hostility are not so much created by the pressure cooker of life, 
They're revealed by life. They're revealed by life. And the Bible says the troubles between us are actually due to already existing trouble that we have within us, that's in our lives. Or to put it another way, if you're arguing with yourself, you're going to argue with other people. If you're accusing yourself, you're going to accuse other people. If you're unhappy, you'll be unhappy with everyone else. What's in you, what's in you, you carry into every day of your life. We can be filled with the worries of this world, or we can be filled with heaven. We can be filled with the joy of God and with the confidence of God, and you and I will always reflect the nature of the world that we're most aware of. We will always reflect what's in us is going to come out. What we're aware of is going to be there. We share with other people. If you're having a good day, you got a raise, you lost weight, you're happy, you can overlook things, you can forgive, you can, I love you all. I love you all. What a wonderful, I'm just having a wonderful day. If you've had a bad day, you feel unhappy in yourself, fur flies, you know. You can't overlook anything, everything bothers you. The Bible says we're like little bombs, you know, waiting to explode. Why? Why is that? Because inside we have unstable compound. Now, what does that mean? A, a bomb, and you know this because we, we, we read about this, can sit underneath the ground for years and years and years and years, but if nobody touches it, if nobody prods it, it doesn't go off. And yet years later, someone can be digging around in the ground and hit it, and all of a sudden, boom, right? A lot of us are like that. We think we're pretty good. We're doing all right until we get into a certain place and somebody jostles us or pushes us or pushes our buttons. The strain of life is a serious thing. We all feel it. We all have things that we're going through. And if any part of you sees some of your friends just breaking apart and falling apart, don't, don't think they must be weak. They must be weak. It just hasn't come to you yet. It just hasn't come to you yet. The Bible says all of us in ourselves are unstable compounds. You say, well, what does that mean, unstable? What does it mean to be unstable? What, what, what makes a building unstable? You know, what makes a building unstable? A building is unstable if it's built on, and we sang about this, a foundation that's weak, that's fragile, too small to hold up what it needs to hold up. The Bible says we're all unstable. Our foundations are unstable. It is so very easy to prod us, and we find ourselves at war with people around us, the scriptures teach there's only one thing that will really change that inner instability. And that's what, and that's what Chuck was talking about. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel literally means joy news. Joy news, you know. News that creates joy in people's hearts. The gospel is the message. We know what it is about Jesus and what Christ has done, 
We think of the gospel as a you know as the bomb squad, where the gospel comes in, people's lives are unstable. It has the expertise to pick you up gently. Remember what Jesus said? He was talking about how he treats people. He says, a bruised reed shall not he break. He won't break. He's gentle with people. He's careful with people. Jesus can pick you up, open you up, diffuse the internal unstable compound. And that's the first thing that the Bible teaches. And here it is. Christian joy is inevitable. Christian joy is inevitable. Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be back, and I'm coming back as your risen Lord, and when you see me, you will have joy. He doesn't say, look at that verse, it doesn't say you, you may have joy, it says you will have joy. If you have Jesus in your life, you will have joy. You know, we sang that song, uh, the, uh, the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Well, you're so good to me. <laughs> I just hope somebody would have said that. Yeah, yeah, where? Where? It's here. It's the joy that we sing this, we sang it as little children. Joy is an inevitable mark of Christians. Eventually, joy has to take over you. You understand? Joy has to take over your life. Joy has to swallow you up. It's inevitable if you're a follower of Christ. The Bible says, look down at verse 22. When you see me, you will have joy. To receive him, to know him, to see him is to have joy. To know Christ, to walk with Christ. And the reason Christian joy is inevitable is that joy is one of the main attributes of God. It's who he is. He is joy. If you have God, you have joy. The, you artist types out there, you know, you, you guys, you artist types that play and create and, and do this, this, uh, this kind of thing. You're actually creating something. You're, all, you're, you're creating. You, I, I still remember, Tim, when I first came to church, you wrote me that song. I have that song, by the way. Yeah, I play it every so often. It's a pickup. It's a, it's a light song. It's an airy song. But he creates, you know, he creates a mood with his music. Imagine what creation was like to God. You, you creators out there. Imagine what creation was like to Almighty God. The Bible says creation was an act of joy. You know that? He loved it. He loved creating. The moon, the sun, the stars. In Proverbs, the eighth chapter, in verse 30, it says, Every day as I was creating, I was filled with delights. I was filled with joy. So the word there, delight, and joy is a word that means to jump and to dance. I was dancing with joy, God says. You say, well, I don't think of, I don't think of God that way at all. I, I think of God as God's holy, and he is. God's majestic, and he is. It's a holy joy. It's a majestic joy that God has. It's a joy as far above giddiness as a waterfall is above a drop of water. It's so intense, the joy. That God is a God of joy. And if you have God in your life, you have to have joy. No matter what you're going through in your life, you have to have joy. And if you don't have joy, 
if it doesn't inevitably grow, then you don't have God. That's a stark statement, isn't it? Then you don't have God. Joy is inevitable. Not just because God is a God of joy, because the gospel message is a message of joy. The Greek word for gospel, evangelion, is the word. And, it, and if you look at it there, it's an interesting word. Uh, you means joy or good. Angelion has the base word in it, angel. What's an angel? Angel is a messenger. It has the base word angel in it, evangelion. It means the message. It's a message of joy. The message of the angels that they sang when Jesus came into the world. It's a message of joy. And we sing that at Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's a message of joy that God's bringing, bringing to us. So if you say, I believe the gospel, I believe the gospel, but there isn't a growing joy in your heart and your life, and you're a sad sack. You know, there's an old story about a preacher, and he was at his farewell dinner. He had served the church for years and years, and he he was trying to encourage one of the old members who was sad to see him go, I think. And he says, don't be so sad. The, the next pastor might be better than me. And she said, that's what they said the last time. But it, but it keeps getting worse. You know? Sometimes joy is a new pastor. You know? Sometimes joy is a new pastor. I think, I think the Bible would say, if your heart was a stringed instrument. Let's go back to music. Your, your heart was a stringed instrument. And there's a huge string there that if you pluck it, the entire heart begins to reverberate with sounds of joy. But nobody is strong enough to pluck it. You know, I like this. I, that's the Mackinac Bridge there, you know, the suspension bridge. And I thought, well, let's look at those cables. I've, I've often, as I've gone, looked at these cables, and I've thought these huge, huge cables on these suspension bridges, and I've thought if somebody was strong enough to pluck one of those, what would it sound like? I mean, what would, what, I don't know. You know, what would it sound like? It's like looking at the bass guitar here. Where, I don't know if he's here, but if you plucked, you know, you had an ant that was looking at that and saying, well, I can't pluck that. Well, we can pluck it. We know what it sounds like. And it can pluck it. I wonder what that sounds like, but I can't pluck that. I can't pluck this. You know, the Bible is saying there's a cord in your life. There's a cord in your life which is as thick and as big and as huge as a suspension cable and nobody and nothing but the gospel can pluck it. Nothing can do that. No one is strong enough to pluck it. But once it's plucked, once it starts to reverberate, the entire life of the individual begins to reverberate with joy. When you read a great book and you see a great movie, you're filled with joy, and you go walk out of there and say, boy, that was a great movie, and I feel so good about it. But then you walk out of the theater and it's gone. What happened? You scratched that cable. You scratched the cable, but you couldn't pluck it. The Bible says when someone gets hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the ultimate story, the ultimate song, the ultimate song, the ultimate piece of art, the gospel. The gospel song 
is that God's Son broke into human history and actually became a human being. A human being. He came to earth and through the crazy upside-down strategy of dying and suffering and apparent defeat, he actually turned the tables on evil. And he eventually is going to eradicate all evil and all suffering in the world. That old, old story, right? That old, old story. And when you actually believe it, remember we talked about this last week, what's real to you? Is it real to you? Do you believe, is it real? And it becomes real to you and you realize the truth of it and you take hold of it and it takes hold of you. It inflicts on your heart a joy that you didn't know you were capable of. The joy of God. The joy of God. Only the gospel message can pluck that string. And that's the reason why the gospel message is called the, the joy news. The joy news. Until you pluck that cord, until you pluck that cord, you're not a Christian. You haven't got it. So the first point is Jesus says, when you see me, when I'm real to you, and you see me, you will have joy. The message of the gospel is joy news. God himself is joy. Second thing we see in this passage of scripture, Christian joy is continual. It's continual. Uh, now, Jesus gives this incredible uh, illustration in Scripture. And we all talk about this. We, we, you know, we've talked about it in classes and whatnot. And it's a woman in labor. <laughs> a woman in labor having a baby, you know. And, and, and he does this to show the structure of Christian joy. This is very interesting, at least it is to me. He points to a woman in labor about to have a child. And in verse 21, he says, A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now, this is, a, this is an interesting illustration. It took me a while just to look at it. And I say, well, what? What? You know, I've been there, you know in the hospital when little ones have come. So how are we like a woman in labor? How are you like a woman in labor? And oh, 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 by the way, uh, this was before epidurals and anesthetics. And you're going, ooh, 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 can't imagine that. You know, can't imagine that. The woman is in pain. The woman is in pain, but Jesus says when the child is born, she forgets her pain. Now notice, he does not say, men, that the child is born and the pain is over, right? It's not suddenly her body immediately feels good. I'm feeling great. You, you don't feel the pain anymore. Not what happens. <laughs> We're aware of that, I'm sure. It says she forgets it says she forgets it. Now what that means is, not that the pain is gone, here's the analogy, and I, and I look, look for this, it's over in Philippians, it's in the third chapter, and I'll read it to you. In Philippians 3 it says this, Paul says, listen, he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind 
and strain forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal, the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, I forget those things. I'm not paralyzed by my past. I'm not paralyzed by the horrible memories of the things that I've done. In fact, I was killing Christians. I was throwing them into prison. I was shaking my fist in the face of God. I am forgetting all that, and I'm pressing on. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means he refuses to be dominated by it. We all have a past. We all have a past. He refuses to focus on it. He refuses to be controlled by it. And what happens to a woman when the baby is born is her mind furiously goes to the child. And she looks at the child. Is it healthy? Who's it look like? She wants to see, what, what's that? Her mind is captured now by this, this one that's in front of her. It's not, Jesus says, that the joy of the woman has in her child eliminates sorrow and the pain of her body. But here's what happens. Her joy overwhelms it. Her joy overwhelms her pain. Her joy overshadows her pain. And this is the structure of Christian joy. In the world, joy and sorrow can never overlap. Now think about it. They are mutually exclusive of one another. If you have sorrow and you want joy, what do you have to do? You have to get, eliminate the pain. You have to eliminate the sorrow. And there's three ways generally that I know of, maybe there's more, to do that. One is, one of the things you do is you try to forget the pain. You know, you, you, you can do that with chemicals. You've got to forget the pain. The other thing you can do is try to avoid the pain. I don't like this situation. This is hurting me. I want to avoid it. That means you've got to break some commitments. You just leave. You say, I don't have to put up with this. I'm not going to do this. You want to avoid the pain to get joy. And the thirdly, in the most pathological way that we think about this, is that you can deny the pain. You can deny this there. You say, well, well it doesn't bother. I, I'm fine. Ah, I'm fine. So you can forget, you can avoid, you can deny the pain. In every case, listen to me, you actually have to turn off your brain. You have to turn off your brain. You have to numb it. You have to tell yourself cute little things like, in every cloud there's a silver lining. My life has got to get better. All of those things are just ways of turning your mind off to reality. Christian joy is completely different. Completely different. The structure of Christian joy is that we have a joy that overshadows pain. Think about it now. It so we don't have to forget it. We don't have to avoid it. We don't have to deny it in order to have joy. You see, Christians are very odd people. Amen. On the one hand, you're incredibly realistic. A Christian will never, if you understand the Bible, 
Understand what scripture says? Be shocked at evil or be shocked at pain. You expect it. You expect it. We don't believe people are basically good. We don't believe the world is basically a nice place. Now that don't preach. Christians are far more pessimistic than other people. Far more pessimistic. Far more realistic about evil in the world. About suffering that we see in the world. We see the brokenness, but Christians have a truth that overshadows it. That comes up over the top of it. But Christians, when we focus on that truth, like the woman looking at her baby, it overwhelms the pain. It overwhelms the pain. A Christian says, look, the world is terrible shape. Look at, look at, the world is in terrible shape. I'm, I'm not going to numb my mind. I'm not going to tell myself little stories, butterflies flying around and flowers. I have a truth. I have a gospel the message of Jesus Christ. What is that? Is it true? Remember last week, we're talking about things that are real. Is it true that God's son came to earth? Is it true that he died for my sins and my debts? Does he now live in heaven to put his glory in me? Is that true? Is that real? Does he now reign in heaven to control all things for me and all of history? He's in control. Is he returning to judge the living and the dead and put everything right? Is he doing that? If that's true, then I have a truth that overshadows problems and all the problems of my life. These problems, as bad as they can be, are going to end someday. They're going to end someday. So we see that, right? We see that. That's the reason Christian joy is so different than other kinds of joy. It stays in touch with pain. It stays in touch with sorrow. Christian joy says, what I'm going through right now is bad. And I'm having a difficult time and I'm struggling. What these people here are going through right now is bad. But my Jesus has been through this a thousand times worse. And he's going to eliminate it. It's going to come to an end. You see, that's the reason why a Christian, on the one hand, is in touch with, with, with the truth that overshadows the joy, but at the same time does not have to forget, deny, or avoid pain. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. Listen to the words. Always rejoicing, yet full of sorrow. Always rejoicing, yet full of sorrow. Does that make sense? It does if you know the structure of Christian joy. The structure of Christian joy is that Christian joy is continual. Just because something happens to me or happens to me in my life does not change the joy inside. Third thing, you see there's a sense in which sorrow and pain actually increases Christian joy. It increases joy, whereas sorrow eliminates the world's joy. Here's why. Christian joy is transcendent. It's transcendent. Good theological word for that. We are complex people. 
I'll put it this way. The world's joy rests on circumstances. Christian joy does not. The world's joy is fairly simple. It's very straightforward. If you have a good day, you're happy. If you have a bad day, you're sad. Now that's a little simplistic, but by and large, pretty simple. Christian joy is based on what Christ has done for us. Here on earth, what are the circumstances that bring you joy? Well, we, we can name those really quickly, you know. If you're loved, love is important. We want to be loved by people. Love is important. If people love us, that's a good thing. Uh, are you doing something productive? Do you have something you're, you know, are you producing? Are you, are you, are you, you know, making it? Uh, do you have possessions, things that, that make you happy? So what gives you joy is knowing that you own things or you're worthwhile or that people love you or things like that. And Christian joy is completely different. Completely different in that it's based on something up there. It's based on something above, beyond this world, in the comforts of this world. Um, we know God loves us with a love that is infallible. I, I have no illusions that God loves me, that God loves me. We know he loves us with a love no one else has ever known that kind of love. We know that. We look at Calvary. We see what's there. And we come to a place like Paul who says, I count everything else lost. Everything in this life as dung, he says, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and making him known. Here's what Paul is saying. Once I became a Christian, I got something new. It was an inheritance that now begins to grow. It's getting bigger, it's getting deeper, it's getting richer, and it's going on into eternity, and it's so much more valuable than what's in this world. In Christ, I feel productive, I feel more loved, more secure than I ever did by looking at the stuff of my life. When your circumstances are bad, and we all go through this, when you've lost human love, when you've lost human security, do you feel that? Do you feel that? Sure you do. You feel it. Are you sad? Of course you're sad. But you cannot, listen to me, you cannot lose divine love. You cannot lose divine love. You cannot lose divine security, the divine safety of being in Christ. And when you have that, when you're holding on to that, you have a transcendent joy that's not earthbound. It's not earthbound. And that's the why, reason why Jesus is able to say, no one takes it from you, right? That last verse, nobody takes it from you. You look down at verse 22. He says that very, the joy that I give you, you will have joy and no one will take it from you. If your joy is based on the stuff of this world, somebody can take it from you. If your joy is based on Christ, nothing can take it from you. Last thing. 
a lot of Christians say, okay, so joy is inevitable. All right, I get it. It's inevitable. Joy is continual. Okay, I get that. It's based on transcendent truths that are beyond this world. Okay, then, then what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I don't really have any joy that's any greater than anybody else's around me. Matter of fact, they look happier than me. What's wrong with me? That's the fourth thing. Christian joy is possible because it's a discipline. It's a discipline. There are two things you have to do, really. There's a positive discipline and there's a negative discipline. The negative discipline is that you have to keep your conscience clear. You have to keep your conscience clear. There's a, there's a British author who lived about 100 years ago, and he wrote a joke. He was trying to be funny, and he sent an anonymous note to three of his friends, and the note said this, flee at once, all has been discovered. It was a joke. To his absolute shock, within 24 hours, the three people left town. But they had bad conscience. They had a bad conscience. A bad conscience will shut you down. It'll shut you down. The Bible says if anyone does something that is not of faith, not something that you can do with a clear conscience, for you it's a sin. It'll shut you down. Therefore, don't shut down your conscience. Who is that up there? Oh, that's Andy. The positive discipline is that you have to meditate. Jesus says in John 15, verse 11, These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. I tell you these things. These things. What are these things? That's the important thing there. What are these things? These things are here. These things are the words of Christ. I tell you these things. I've shown you these things. I've walked this earth sharing these things. These things. I've shown you that you should pay attention to them. Some people say, well, I need, I need to meet, read my Bible, and I do that, and I, and I pray. Well, then what? Good for you. What? Then what? Then what? After you read the Bible, after you prayed, then you have to rejoice. Then you have to rejoice. Rejoicing is very much like learning to play an instrument. We're coming back to you, Tim, Kathy. You can be passive. You can be passive. Say, I want to learn to play a musical instrument. I, I'm going to learn, I'm, and I'm going to play this guitar here, and I'm going to just sit here and wait. And I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait for it to happen. No, you have to practice. You have to practice. How do you do your drums? You had to practice. You had to practice. You know? You practice. You practice. You just don't sit there and wait till it happens to you. On the other hand, you can't force it either. There's people who want to force the Christian faith. You don't, you, 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 you don't expect to just pick up the piano like Kathy does and just, oh, I can, I can just, I'm just going to play. You know? And then next week you're going to be able to, to play at Carnegie Hall. Next week, I'll do Carnegie. Not this week. 
I'm waiting. Christians say, I'm a Christian. I need to have joy. So I'm going to act as happy as I can because I'm supposed to. I'm supposed to be happy. That's it. I'm supposed to be happy. That's the right thing to do, right? I'm happy. I'm happy. Going through a rough time, I'm happy. No. What you have to do is you have to own the gospel. You have to own the gospel. Practice it. Practice it. Rehearse it. You have to take these truths. This is your father speaking to you through his son. You take these truths. You are his child. He loves you. You think about the safety. No one can cast you out. No one can cast you out. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You think about the inheritance of what's coming, of what the Lord has for you, what it means to have glory, and what that glory is going to look like, what heaven is going to look like. You have that inheritance. You think about these things. You meditate on them, and you learn just like you learn to play the piano. You do it. 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 It may take some time before you are able to make joy. But I tell you, if you meditate on these things, if you meditate on these things, rejoicing means thinking about them until the fire awakens. The fire awakens in your heart and in your life. Rejoicing means thinking about them until your heart softens. Don't don't work directly on your emotions. Go to the truth. Go to the Bible. Go to what the Bible says. The positive discipline is to think. The negative discipline is to keep your conscience clear. And Christian friends, you do that, really, joy is inevitable. Joy is inevitable. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And I said this once before, but I'm going to give it to you again. That statement right there. Never forget that. We do not have the capacity to exaggerate God's goodness. God is so good. He has so much for us. In the midst of the pain that we have, personal things that we're going through, struggles, the things that are going on around us, in other people's lives, and in the world. We do not have the capacity to exaggerate how good God is, and he's good all the time. For a Christian, mourning is now. Mourning is now. Joy is not an abstraction. It's a person. Joy is a person. When you see me, what does he say? You will, when you see me, who's that? Jesus. When you see me, you will have joy, and no one will take that joy from you. No one. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the power of Scripture. Thankful for these words as we continue to walk through John. Uh, so, so many great truths that are here for us each day. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the joy that comes from knowing him and loving him. We're thankful as we look out at our personal difficulties, look out at this world, uh, we, we run to the truth. We run to the truth. We run to the scriptures. We run to Jesus. And we allow Lord Jesus Christ to speak to our hearts and lives. 
and to give us the hope and to give us the joy that is there. Father, we pray for that in our lives today, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.